gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. On today's show, we are going to talk about the question that I see often online. Should you force fetch dogs? Yes or no? And what is the benefit? Uh, During the training tip, we are going to talk about working on hold with your dog. And during the hunting tip, we are going to talk about increasing the food in your waterfowl area by putting in waterfowl food plots and different things that ducks would like. So I hope you guys really enjoy the show. I think it's going to be a good one and we will get right into it. I see often where people talk online about the concept of force fetch or trained retrieve. And there are many that say that you don't need to do it. Now, I will tell you that when I do see people talk about not force fetching a dog or doing trained retrieve with the dog, it is always, what are your goals with your dog? I'm going to take a little bit of a side note on this and talk to you about my first dog. I wanted a dog that would just fetch a ball and I could take grouse hunting. Her name was Lily Bell. Lily and I really got into the dog world and all it was about. And I ended up with a kennel and television show in the long run and actually hosted a second show for several years. Point being, you never know where you might end up and where those two adoring eyes might lead you. I just wanted a dog that I could take out and use for picking up a grouse when I was out scouting for deer and ended up with this large conglomerate that we have today and I cut several corners. I used a, a book called Gun Dog that I really feel cuts corners where they talk about, or at least during the versions I had, talked about you aren't going to do that with your dog as in run competition, so don't worry about that. I ultimately did end up running competition with my dog. She had several holes that had to be fixed later. And it was just it was an eye-opening experience for me. And looking back on it and looking forward with people with their other dogs, it comes down to you should follow a solid training program. And as I've said many times, the foundation of any training and foundation of your dog in training is e-collar conditioning and reinforcement, force fetch, and your obedience work. To me, that is the foundation. And if you are going to build up on your house, as in you're going to try to take your dog farther when you get into handling multiple retrieves and other items, you need to build this base or you're going to come crumbling down. Force felch in itself is a conservation issue. You want your dogs to hold. You want your dogs not to drop. I don't know how many times I hear from people where their dog brings a bird up either to the boat or to the edge of a blind, drops the bird, the bird dives under the water, and they don't find the bird. Now, I hope in theory that 
everyone is counting that as their bird because you did take that bird. That should be part of your bag limit. I know many that probably do not. What I will say is that I think it's irresponsible not to have a dog that's going to hold until commanded to drop. And you want to make sure that the dog is doing this. And to get them there, that is working on something called force fetch or trained retrieve. It is, in essence, teaching the dog that they need to pick something up when commanded and hold it until dropped. I think it's a misnomer that some people think that this is only used when the dog is near you. If you actually do a good job with this training step and do the right job where you're through it all the way and proofed, it works well when you're telling a dog that blinks on a bird, which blinking means that they see it but decide not to pick it up, and you can give them the command of fetch and make them go and get it when they're at distance. If a bird is out 100 yards out in the water and it's over your waders, the last thing you want to you want to do and can do, unless you have a boat, is go out there and work on the dog's training in that atmosphere. You want to make sure that the dog is through the step, proofed on the step, on land, then in water, so that we have this conservation tool that will go and retrieve our birds for us and bring them back all the way to hold. Force fetch is a step in training, but it is also part of the structure of training, part of the structure of your dog's training and dog's makeup as you move through training. It's not just a step where you are working on something and you don't have to work on it with the other processes in your training. This is part of building the groundwork or foundation of your dog's training, which again is your force fetch, your e-collar conditioning and reinforcement, and your obedience. Again, once you get those three items done with your dog, then we start building up where we start introducing the dog to different things like gunfire, birds, marks, different levels of cover, and you need to have the dog where they are through that so that you can take them out and work with them in the field on your further steps. Many times I will talk to people and they will ask questions about their training and they will say, my dog is doing awesome. My dog's handling, taking hand signals, and she's only seven months old, but geez, the dog just won't retrieve. You can't do them out of order. You start where you build a foundation and work up. I know that it is exciting for people to get to the point where your dog is doing all the quote-unquote cool things. I always caution and tell people, because I work with young dogs, that it's not very sexy the first three or four weeks because it's just me getting the dog so that they understand expectations, they learn how to learn, and they are completely under control. So look at force fetch not as a separate module in your training, but part of the whole control process. It's part of that cog so that you have a dog so that they are under control. They understand they work for you. You're giving them 80 to 90% positive reinforcement during this time when they do things right or even when they're just sitting telling them sit and good dog so that we can reinforce with them that their willingness to please us is needed and that, wow, when you do this, you're going to get a lot of positive reinforcement, but yet there still is that I carrot and stick and your stick being your negative reinforcement that you're going to use 
and you're gonna make it so that the dog wants to choose the positive. Again, that's why it's part of this cog of training in the early early part of your dog's uh, training career as opposed to just being a module separate from everything else. So I hope that helps. In my opinion, and I've worked with quite a few dogs now. I, I wouldn't even know how many. Um, I've, I've got my first dog in 98, but in my opinion, you have to do this step. It is something that is very much elbow grease. It is something you have to be fair with your dog while doing, but also firm with them. And you need to walk them through it along with the other items that are building your foundation. To give you an idea, I've had my eight dogs in for training right now. And we have worked on, in the last two weeks, uh, force fetch on a table where we did an ear pinch and now I've transitioned to using an knee collar. Today was the first day I do one one week with uh, ear pinch and I do the next week uh, with, with an e collar. We will be off the table on the third week and start working from the ground. While we're doing, we're doing our trained retriever force fetch, we are working on our obedience, which is working on sit, heel, hear, and kennel. And we're also, we just got through e-collar conditioning where we're now starting to use the e-collar to reinforce the commands so that they understand, one, with conditioning, how to turn the collar off or how to avoid pressure by doing what we command, but two, letting them, them know if they don't respond quickly that they need to or they're going to get corrected. And obedience is at a higher level when you're teaching a hunting dog. It is keeping them so that they're healing the proper way. When you tell them to sit, they're sitting immediately in a good, solid posture and not a lazy sit or sitting and turning toward you, but having their spine in line with your foot. And then we're going to start working with our obedience and our force fetch and hold conditioning as part of obedience as well as we progress and start adding more things. So if you're thinking of it in the terms of time, if you have a 20 minute time period that we're doing all of the above in now, that's gonna be condensed down to five to 10 minutes where we do everything at once, once we get into week three, four, five, and six. So I hope that helps. If you have questions on this, you can always email me sportingdogtv at gmail.com. I can't train a dog over the, over the uh, uh, internet. I can't train a dog over email. I can't train a dog over phone. It is something you just have to work with them. But it's a step, again, that needs to be done. It's a step that is part of the overall training process and a step that once you do it, you'll understand it. And then you'll be so much happier that you did it with your dogs. So again, stay tuned for our next part where we're going to talk about actually part of the force fetch process, which is teaching hold. And we're going to move on to that in the next uh, part of the show with a training tip. So stay tuned for that right after this. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. Hey, welcome back to the show. On the last part, we talked about force fetch and why it's needed in your training program for your dog. And now we are going to talk about teaching the hold command. Now, when we work on force fetch, we are with a dog up on a table. The hold training is part of it. Hold training is also something that I do with dogs all throughout their first three months of training. And it is 
where you are making sure that a bumper is in a dog's mouth. I start out with a wooden dowel. So it's not a bumper, it's a uh, wooden dowel, and then transition to a bumper. And it's putting that in the dog's mouth, telling them hold. And if they are not holding it properly, I actually tap under their chin with my hand so that they understand they got to keep their head up and they need to keep their mouth quiet. I keep the dog's head up by holding onto their collar so that they are not putting their head down. What I will tell you is that if dogs put their heads down, they are more apt to spit something or drop it. But it's working with them on a table so that it's calm, so that it is controlled, and so that you're able to give them praise. I put the item in the dog's mouth to start with and tell them, hold, good dog, hold, hold, good, hold. Again, soothing voice. If you have an excitable dog, the last thing you want to do is bring your amperage up in your voice because you're getting upset or nervous or frightened or excited, the dog will will sense that and they will follow suit and they will raise their level. So keep your voice smooth, keep your voice calm, and just work with the dog and give them lots of praise. As we progress with our force fetch, we're going to be telling the dog to fetch, having them hold something. And again, as they're holding it, I don't just take something from their mouth. It's hold, good dog, hold, hold, good. We take the dog off of the table and then we start working with the dog so that they're on the ground. And once they're on the ground, we're telling them, again, as they walk, tell them fetch, have them pick something up or take it from your hand. And then I walk with them at heel and I work on their obedience while I'm telling them to hold. So I'll tell them, hold, good dog, sit, good, hold, heel, good dog, hold. And I'm actually chaining different training methods all together in one so that we can accomplish more throughout our training uh, with the dog. So it's working with them on their obedience, working with them on hold, and then getting to the point where we're working with them in the field. Up to three months when dogs are bringing stuff back in, even if they are through force fetch, I am still telling them that as they're bringing stuff in, hold, good dog, hold. As I am reinforcing, you are doing what I want. You're getting positive reinforcement. Remember, you need to hold it because, again, if they drop it at that point, once we're further in a training, they will get a collar correction and the command fetch. I don't want to get to that point. We obviously will if they do drop it, but I want to put them in a position to succeed. So I'm constantly reminding them. I even take this to a level of the for dog's first season when they're out hunting. I still will tell them while they're bringing a bird in, hold over and over again so that they understand that, yes, this is what I want. We're out hunting. The level of excitement is different. The level of control for me as a handler and trainer is different, but we're still going to reinforce that we want them to hold and reinforce it with positives so that they are doing what we want. So I hope that helps with teaching the hold command. Again, we start on a raised surface, work with them on hold. Then we start walking with them on a leash so we still have control of them working on hold and transition that to later in training where when they go out to pick something up and are bringing it back, we're still telling them to hold and then correcting them. If they do drop with the fetch command and a collar, uh, collar correction. So I hope that helps for today's training tip. Stay tuned next as we're going to talk about the habitat of your waterfall property. All that and more coming up after this. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. Welcome back to the show. Now we are going to talk about improving your habitat. I was very fortunate to work with uh, Kester's Wild Game Seed, I believe is their name. Uh, they're out of Winnicott, Wisconsin. 
for a couple of days. And we basically worked on adding different aquatic plants to my property so that the birds, the ducks, would have more to eat and it would keep them around. It was interesting. Some of it worked, some of it did not. Overall, I know it did help because I've got a couple of spots on my property that are ponds and I watched the birds consistently landing in an area that I know we planted stuff. Now, a lot of what you can plant and how you can set it up pertains to what you have for water depth and also what you have as far as current plant or aquatic structure in your ponds, rivers, lakes, etc. that you're working on. We had a heavy dose of coontail, so we had to get out early in the year. We had to get our plants out so that they could get a good head start before the coontail started growing. Some of the plants did not compete well. One of the things that we did really well with was sago pondweed. Uh, we planted some rice, which did okay, and a few other items like celery, aeropyma, but ultimately probably the most successful thing that we had at my property was the sago pondweed, which really has taken off. I can look in. I know where we planted it. I know there's a lot of it. The other stuff, some of it grew for a few seasons and then disappeared. Ultimately, my property that I that we did this work on has too variable of a water table so that it was really hard for plants that need deeper water. You're planting in spring because the water's deeper then everything would go dry because the water would go down fast, up fast. We couldn't get rice to grow because the water was too deep. But now I have another property that actually has lots of rice on it. So it's interesting where I'm looking at the current property that I have and the rice that's on it. I'm going to learn from that, probably harvest some of my own rice, and then take it back to my property, uh, back to uh, in a different part of the uh, uh, area, and try to grow rice at a later date. But again, it is like a regular food plot. You need to look at your conditions. You need to prepare your seed bed. We used a rake and actually put the seed down and raked the bottom of the uh, of, of the area that we put it in. Some of it was using almost like a piece of sock with small root balls in it and a, and a couple of rocks and throwing them out in areas. That's how we uh, planted the sago pondweed. Again, those were deeper areas, so we couldn't prepare a seed bed, but it was, again, making sure we had good uh, soil to seed contact. Getting that stuff set, planting almost like some test plots or test areas so you can see what grows in your hunting, uh, hunting realm, and then moving on to where you can expand it in later years. What we did was we expanded what worked. We didn't necessarily give up on what didn't work, but the last few years we've had a lot of flooding in our state. And we also had a dam that was downriver that got damaged. So there were a lot of variables I couldn't control. I'm going to revisit, I guess, some of the items we tried to plant in the future. But for now, we're sticking with what works. And it really did help. And it's a lot of fun. It's it's Nothing is more fun with deer, turkeys, uh, waterfowl, pheasants, of putting items in to make your property better and then have that and it helps you harvest animals later. Um, I always tell my wife, I love being a duck farmer and deer farmer. It is cool to me to have this stuff where I'm putting things out and improving my property as opposed to just sitting idly by and hoping that, uh, that the birds find what they're looking for. So that is the end of our hunting tip. 
we do want to thank you so much for stopping by and listening to our show. If you do enjoy our show, please stop at your whatever platform you're at and give us a five-star rating. Like our podcast, follow our podcast, give us whatever you can that would be feedback on that platform. That in turn turns out that that will give our podcast a higher rating so that more people will see it. Also, share it with your friends and send us feedback. You can send us messages on the Anchor platform. You can email me, sportingdogtv at gmail.com. And you can go to our Facebook, Sporting Dog Adventures. Side Acres Retrievers also has a Facebook page. You can check the stuff out there and let us know what you would like to hear in the future. I've never done a podcast. I just enjoy connecting with the people that we've met over the years and through our TV show in the past. So please help us make our show better, help spread it, and really enjoy the off-season as you can work on your dog and your hunting property, and you can get it ready for the upcoming fall. I'm already looking forward to hunting season, but it's quite a ways away. So I guess until that point, I'll try to improve my properties and train my dogs. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much again for listening, and God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.